This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on the flagship station, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, as well as on our good friends, WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Hey, Matt Patrick here today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Patrick, you are actually going to be gone for a few days. You said you're going up to the North Shore uh, uh, to to relax a little bit. It is beginning to see the people doing the holiday time off. You know what I mean? Yep, uh, it will be up uh, up on the north shore of Lake Superior for our Chicago audience. So, yeah. one of my favorite places to go, no matter the time of year. Um, I was hoping there would be some snow, but it looks like I might be out of luck. Hands down, hands. I have been on the water off off of Chicago. Hands down, the prettiest metropolitan view on any of the Great Lakes is Chicago. It just is spectacular. Duluth is shockingly cute, by the way. If you ever get the chance to go see that one, it's shockingly cute. It goes down dramatically after that. Let's... <laughs> it's uh, like an like an elderly person stumbling down the stairs. It, uh, <laughs> there's one, two, three. Cleveland's down there somewhere. <laughs> Milwaukee, Milwaukee down there somewhere. Green Bay down there somewhere. Uh, Detroit. Well, that's is it technically okay? Maybe Detroit. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. Chicago is spectacular. Have you ever been out in the water on Chicago in the summer? Something I have not. No, uh, I went out on a, on a boat. Just went out. Just uh, you know. To, uh, you know, do a little fishing and stuff like that. And we, you know, it was, it was really shockingly good. I mean, just like, wow, good. So yeah, if you get the chance, give it a shot. And then of course, Duluth is, Duluth is, uh, you know, that's called determination. (laughs) Duluth is called determination. It's funny because I drove up there for the first time and with my daughter, my daughter goes to the University of Minnesota Duluth. And I drove up there uh, from the Twin Cities to to go see her. And if you're at the top of the hill, it, it, basically Lake Superior is just eroded down the coastline there. So you get to the top of the hill, and it's like at the top of the hill is like snowing like crazy. By the time I got down to the, you know the you know the two miles down by the the lakefront, it was all rain. It just it's, it's nice to have a place that has you know four or five different you know climate zones as you're just driving down on you know I-35. You know, my favorite one is when it's 85 degrees at the main airport and 55 degrees down at the airport south of Canal Park. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a weird place. <laughs> Temperature, weather-wise, that is like spinning compasses, 952-946-6205. If you are heading on off for a week, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, people uh, you know, have finishing up uh, Hanukkah. 
Uh, but uh, if you're heading out for some holiday time, I hope you have a wonderful time. Travel safe. All my best. We are here. We've got uh, live shows all the way till next Thursday, and then we got the brand new to you shows. More on that la- next week. I, I interviewed a, a person today. Just an unbelievable interview. Unbelievable. Those are brand new shows. We're going to start on the 22nd. Just keep listening right here on either AM 950 or WCPT 820. Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let me go into – all right. I'm I'm going to wade in on something. I'm not – I am not weighing in on what's going on in Gaza right now. I mean, I, I, I have said before, and, and the problem I have is that I've said before, you know, what happened to Israel with Hamas attack, attacking, that was absolutely horrible. That was a terrorist strike. They had a right to, to, to defend themselves. At the same time, you can have an objective look. You can say that and still say, wow, the Israelis have treated uh, the Palestinians poorly for a long time, and this heavy-handed approach that they are doing right now is wrong. It, 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 this is too extreme. You can say both sides. I can say Israel has a right to exist, and they should exist at the same time as also Palestine has a right to exist, and Palestinians do. I can say this. I say these things and as trying to be as 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 kind of neutral about it as I possibly can be because I can understand the passions on both sides, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to get yelled at at some point in the next few days because, just because I mention it like this because I'm not an absolutist on one side or the other, and I'm just not. I am just not. I am uh, I'm practical. I can look at the situation and I can evaluate and say things are bad on both sides uh, and, and go with that. I want to just bring up one specific thing and just and specifically want to talk to, to Israel if I can. The Israeli Defense Forces say that three Israeli hostages in Gaza were mistakenly identified as a threat and were shot dead. During a combat uh, in northern Gaza, the IDF mistakenly identified three Israeli hostages as a threat. As a result, the troops fired toward them. They were killed. IDF spokesperson Daniel Hagari said at a briefing Friday, during searches and checks in the area in which the incident occurred, a suspicion arose over the identities of the deceased. The bodies were transferred to Israeli territory for examination, after which it was confirmed they were three Israeli hostages. The hostages were identified as uh, Yotam Haim, uh, Samir Talaka, and another male hostages whose family has requested it not be published. The IDF began reviewing the incident immediately. Responding to a reporter's question, uh, Hagari said IDF officials assumed the three Israelis killed either escaped or were abandoned by the terrorists during an ongoing fighting in the area. He said he was unable to answer immediately whether the three men had put their hands up or uh, shouted to the soldiers in Hebrew, which still doesn't mean that they should have been shot. I'm going to be blunt about that. The IDF emphasizes this was an active combat zone in which ongoing fighting the last few days has occurred. Now, I'm going to say something as a person who is a veteran. That's right. At one point... I was your first line of defense. Yes. Sorry to scare you at the holiday season, but that's the truth. I was U.S. Army. Go Army, by the way. Nice job winning against Navy last weekend. Um, uh, you know, I was U.S. Army. And um, I can tell you when it comes to the rules of combat and the rules of engagement, that if you're shooting first and then determining 
who you've shot after the fact, you're doing it wrong. All right. I just, someone has to say it. I will. And I think that this, the reason why these three hostages are dead, these three Israeli hostages are dead. And I can only imagine the horrific nature of the last two months of their existence to watch a massacre happen, to be kidnapped by Hamas, to be held, probably beaten and tortured, to finally either escape or just be let go, only to be gunned down by your own military. Yeah, not exactly a a, a stellar moment in humanity here. All right. So what I want to say is just as we get in this, maybe Israel, maybe you should start revisiting the shoot first and ask questions later policy, because that's clearly what this is. That's clearly what this is. Shoot first and don't, it doesn't even matter. It's just, you know, and I guarantee the people that shot these three hostages thought they got the bad guys because they're not really thinking right now as they fire. They're just not. And this is the evidence. If you were looking at what evidence you have, this, this, you would think a spotter would have the pictures of the hostages and say, whoa, 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 don't, no one shoot, no one shoot. These look like some of our people that have been released or have escaped. Let's go get them, help them, humanitarian aid immediately. Because that's when, when I was in the military, that's what they hammered into us is that do not, a weapon, a gun, We'll kill somebody. I know this is the great myth that we have taught each other that there's like freaking video games. No, they're not. That when you fire a round out of a weapon, that that is a round you are intending to kill somebody with. And if you're just indiscriminately shooting at anybody without identifying whether or not they're the good guys or the bad guys, well, that's a problem. And if you say, I mean, if someone comes to me and says, well, they could have been disguised as, as Hamas. Well, Maybe you shouldn't be trying to kill everybody and make sure then that they're, you're just capturing them because it doesn't sound like you probably would have had a hard time capturing these guys. If they, were, if they saw they were Israeli, Israeli military, then wouldn't they have quickly said, guys, we're with you? This was a shoot first and ask questions situation later. And if there isn't a, a more stagnant example of why you probably should maybe pull back on the severity of things it's this right there okay it's this right there 9529466205952946620529466205 now uh cnn has a new poll out about republican voters who said that 7 in 10 republican voters would be satisfied with donald trump as the nominee now there's a lot here. This is, I mean, this is really like three or four lines, but there is an insane amount we can extract from this poll that I think we need to extract from this poll. And the first one is kind of the pathetic numbers of this, that um, seven in 10 Republicans, you know, were be satisfied with Donald Trump as the nominee. That that 30% of Republicans that's not answering, those are the Republicans who are like, you mean the guy that tried to overthrow the government? You mean the guy that basically is threatened to basically, you know, arrest people he doesn't like, has promised concentration camps, has, has done all these things? Yeah, that guy? No, I don't think that that's a good idea. I don't, I, I don't think that that's, that's a good idea. 
The question is, how much higher within the Republican Party can he get? Because I honestly feel as if that's kind of close to him tapping out. Now, here is, and I've talked about this numerous times this week, there is this mentality Republicans will always over-vilify their opponent, not because that's right, but because they have to justify what they already know is going to be a tainted vote. They already know voting for Donald Trump, you're voting for a guy who's a criminal, and I've got... (laughs) I got another doc, missing document case we got to get to uh, this hour. Uh, they they know that he's rotten. They know that you know he can't run a charitable group because he stole money from cancer victims. Uh, he defrauded banks. He basically tried to overthrow the government. He basically kept a bunch of secret materials. Basically, I, I'm I'm at this point. I think it's pretty clear to sell to the highest bidder and make him some extra coin on the side. And, of course, he is in trouble in Georgia. He is a horrible person. Plus the fact that, once again, your Christian values guy had a porn star spank his bare caboose with a magazine with his face on it. Yes. You don't want to talk about that, do you? Like, or, or you want to act like that's some sort of the, the, the party of Christian values, that that's some sort of, but man, he, he can score with the ladies. Yeah, she sure gave a good description of him. You know, who doesn't love Mario Kart? But the, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't get that one through that one myself. So. Vroom, vroom, or, well, a lack of it. Anyway, I'll tell you what, I'll come back more on this in a second. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. Good to be with you today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's head to the phone lines. Lawrence is in St. Paul. Lawrence, welcome on into the show. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Going well, sir. Hey, um, you know what? You're saying seven out of ten Republicans. Uh, I I beg to – I might even postulate that there's more. I think there, if there's seven out of ten Republicans, it's got to be at least – Six out of ten in this net in this country that would actually vote for this guy secretly, but they won't tell you. Now let me tell you something. It's a if you deep dive into this entire thing, the whole thing. I think we're we're mistaken in the media to keep talking about Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that. He's a conduit. He's a conduit for the overall um, thinking in this country by white people and it's called manifest destiny i can't do a deep dive into it i could oh no I won't uh, and lawrence I, I i to a point i kind of agree with you and, and and thank you for the phone call i you know i would i be surprised at lawrence's first point that there could be more people there um not at all because once again he's right it's about the ide- ideology of what he represents and trump was smart enough to play the piper and and get all the the snakes to follow him and 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 so that's what he's done. And yeah, that's I mean, it, it, you, you have a guy who says, I'm going to open you put the military on the streets of this country to keep people in line. And people are like, yay. I, I, I don't know what else. I mean, he tried to kill democracy. And there is it. 
And I wanted to say to anyone that wants to vote for him, I can't tell you how stupid you are because you, I think maybe four or five percent of you are okay with the idea of a dictator to get rid of democracy completely, shut down the Congress, shut down the Senate, shut down the House, have one person there, and it, it's authoritarian rule, and that's it. Kind of like uh, North Korea. I, I kind of get the impression that that's that. Th- there's a few people. But there's an insane amount of people that want to vote for Trump that think that you can somehow do a, you know, totalitarian light, that you can elect him and and, and, and and sure, he'll be a totalitarian, but he'll give up power the next election. No, he won't. Because if he gives up power, that means he goes to jail because he is guilty undeniably of a lot of these things that he has been accused of undeniably. So I just, I want, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, is Lawrence right? I think so. I think there probably are some more people. I, I, it comes down to that 20% who basically are, are you serious about enough's enough with Trump or are you basically just, you know, frustrated and at the end of the day, you'll still vote for the guy. I think as Democrats, I think as rational people, I think you have to plan on every Republican voting for him. A reminder, after all the things that he did, he put babies in cages. More people voted for him the second time around than the first time. I want to repeat that. The man put babies into cages, and basically he actually got more votes. So you you know this this comes down to one thing and one thing only. You better get out there and freaking vote. And that's the point I'm bringing up when I bring this up. Yeah, better get out there and vote. The interesting thing I want to point out now, DeSantis. Now, once again, the question was, um, you know, would you be satisfied as Donald Trump as the nominee? And so what they did is they asked each individual, the person about each individual candidate. DeSantis comes in at 64, so substantially, you know, not substantially less, but a little less than Trump that people would be there. The thing that's interesting is uh, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley comes in at 48%. And I'm not saying that you can't have women, Republican women win. I mean, you look at Jody Ernst. Uh, you look at oh, is it Marsha Blackburn's a senator. You've got some Republican women senators. I mean, that, that's the case. You have a few Republican women governors. Uh, you know, Huckabee Sanders down in Arkansas and stuff like that. But the reality is, is I think you have unique circumstances with unique situations. I don't think – I mean Nikki Haley is by far – I mean if you are a traditional Republican, by far Nikki Haley is the best candidate of the bunch. <laughs> Not even close. Really, she is. I mean if you, if you re- recall anything about being a Republican at all, Nikki Haley – is you know Vivek Ramaswamy you know you know Chris Christie Chris Christie might be a a moderate Republican appeal and he has some appeal but not a lot within the Republican Party. It tells you a lot of how far to the right the party has moved. The Republican Party has moved. That Nikki Haley Nikki Haley would be a traditional Republican candidate twenty twenty five years ago. Today she's seen as way too moderate for us because we want babies in cages. We want tanks on the streets. The biggest enemy is not from outside this country, but right here, those liberals. Now give me my my farm aid. <laughs> oh, the hypocrisy. Anyway, the reality is is that Haley, I, I think that 
there has been some speculation. I mean, we've had in, in the state of Minnesota, at least, um, you know, the best candidate, hands down the best candidate for the Republican governorship last election cycle was a woman. Absolutely. Hands down. As a matter of fact, might have even knocked out uh, Tim Walls as the governor. Might have. She didn't have a chance. And we have to talk about the fact that within the Republican Party, for the most part, there is a misogyny that is there. That is not something that's going to go away. You know, it, it's, it is it is not saying, once again, it's not an absolute. Of course, they have a few senators and they have a few governor's offices. But for the most part, they don't – I do not think a, a strong candidate for the Republicans on the women's side could get much more than 48, 50 percent because I think that there are just that many misogynists when it comes down to presidents like, I don't want a chick in there. And that's kind of their mentality. So there's a lot you can pull. I mean, even though this is a small little poll, it does have a few numbers. I think that you can extrapolate a lot from this poll that that tells you where the Republican is at, party is at today. But I want to go back to the, the thing I mentioned just a few minutes ago, and that is the Republican Party has shifted dramatically to the right. Because, and, and, and what it, it comes down to, the appeal of it, is we're going to punish the people we, we have perceived as our enemies. We're going to punish them. And that's crazy, man. That is absolutely crazy. That, 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 that is your main goal, that your main satisfaction is, I will gladly sink on the Titanic as long as I'm 10 feet higher on the deck than my enemy. And I'll watch them drown and go, ha, 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 oh, no. <laughs> but that's who these Republicans are. And I don't, I mean, one of the things which was really remarkable about the pandemic was you would think that, okay, how many of them bought into the lie the Republican lie that they, you know, that, that, that COVID, the vaccine was bad and stuff like this, and that we're going, you can put ivermectin up your backside and you're going to be able to survive and all these things, and and clearly over and over and over and over and over again, Republicans were proven to be wrong about this issue, and people died, and people went bankrupt, and people have been sick with long COVID, and yet they all still, a lot of these guys will still like, but I'm still voting Republican. It it it. It tells you a lot about what brainwashing does to a populace, supposedly an educated one as well. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting live in the evenings on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and, of course, in your afternoon dreams there. AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Hey, let's go take a look at Rudy, 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 Rudy. Uh, there's been a, a, a judgment in that trial that Rudy is, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. Good times. A federal jury on Friday ordered Rudy Giuliani to pay two former Georgia election workers more than $148 million for destroying their reputations and causing them extreme emotional distress by spreading baseless lies that they had tried to steal the victory from Donald Trump after the 2020 presidential election. 
The award came after Judge Beryl A. Howell in the federal district court in Washington had ruled that Mr. Giuliani, who had helped lead Mr. Trump's efforts to remain in office after his defeat, had defamed the two workers, Ruby Freeman and Shane Most. The jury in the civil trial had been asked to decide only the amount of the damages. Over hours of emotional testimony, Mrs. Freeman and Miss uh, Freeman and Miss Moss described how their lives had been completely upended after January 3rd, 2020, when Giuliani first suggested they had engaged in election fraud to tilt a result against Mr. Trump in Georgia. The women who are black and are a mother and daughter who were soon flooded with expl- expletive-laden phone calls and messages, threats and racist attacks. They testified the people that they uh, they should have hanged on uh, they they should have been hanged for treason or uh, and lynched. Um, others told them they fantasized about hearing the sounds of their necks snapping. Yikes! Yeah, <laughs> whatever happened to the tolerant left? Yeah, okay, sure. Hey, they showed up. Mrs. They showed up at Miss Freeman's home. They tried to execute a citizen's arrest on Miss Moss at her grandmother's house. They called Mrs. Moss's 14-year-old son's cell phone so much that it interfered with his virtual classes, and he finished his first year of high school with failing grades. This all started with one tweet. Miss Freeman said, told the jury, referring to a social media post from Mr. Giuliani, saying, "Watch." Video footage from Georgia shows suitcase filled with ballots pulled from under a table after supervisors told poll workers to leave room and four people stay behind to keep counting votes. Mr. Giuliani did not testify at the trial. His lawyer, Joseph Sibley IV, told the jury that client, the former New York mayor, had federal prosecutors should not be held responsible for abuse directed at Mrs. Freeman and Mrs. Moss by others. Mr. Sibley and Mr. Giuliani decided uh, decided not to testify on Thursday, partly to avoid putting the women under more emotional strain. <laughs> there was nowhere for him to go. Lawyers for Miss Freeman and Miss Moss. At, and you want to know the truth is, I have zero, by the way, I have zero doubt. That was his lawyer saying, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to let you on the stand. Because he, you know, he just, he can't help himself. He is, he is, he is kind of mentally gone. And I could see him saying, darn right, I told the people to go after them. And that would be the end. It'd be, it'd be, 100 and, it'd be $300, $400 million at that point. Lawyers for Miss Freeman and Miss Moss asked the jury to send the message uh, uh, deciding that Mr. Giuliani should pay. Send it to Mr. Giuliani, one of the lawyers Michael Gottlieb said in the closing argument. Send it to any other powerful figure on a platform. Mr. Sibley warned that a award for the scale being sought by the women would be the civil equivalent to the death penalty for Mr. Giuliani. Oh, boo freaking who? Who is struggling financially and is under – yeah, he can barely afford his, what, 12 boxes of wine each day. He's under federal indictment for Georgia where a local prosecutor has brought racketeering charges against him. Well, maybe he should plead guilty down there and testify against Trump. But, hey, that's just me. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. No, I'm uh, I'm kind of happy with that. I'm I feel that that's an okay re- result. Um, yeah, you know, you make it hurt, and that's I think that's the only thing you can do with these guys is make it hurt. And you know, if you're Donald Trump, I think Donald Trump is terrified of the civil trials that they want to bring that people want to bring against him because there's no defense that he has. He has no defense there. The civil trials, it's easier to prove a civil case than it is a a criminal case. And, you know, when you're looking at the police getting beaten and they're suing Trump for civil charges and, you know, he's trying to say that they don't have a case. You know, you look at this. Trump's going to owe billions, billions of dollars to people, billions of dollars. Delicious. My guess is he'll flee to another country. And my guess is if if he does not win the election, which for God's sakes, everyone, please vote, please vote, please. 
If he does not win the election, my guess is that you will see Donald Trump flee the United States and head to a different country to avoid any kind of uh, prosecution. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Speaking of Trump, yeah, this doesn't seem sketchy at all. According to a report from CNN, U.S. intelligence officials are searching for a missing file containing highly sensitive information about Russia as well as information about Russian interference in the 2016 election. As the report notes, the fact that the file, also containing intel compiled by NATO allies, can't be found and was last seen in the possession of former President Trump, that has both senior U.S. intelligence officials and European allies concerned. Okay, who who doesn't think that he... Come on, man. I think we all... I think we all can see what's happened here. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a real mystery, huh? Hey, Vlad, will you still be my buddy? I got something for you. It's, it's all the secret information they have on you. Good boy, there, Donald. You sit, sit. Here is a bucket of chicken. <laughs> the Russian dictator thinks I'm his friend. Seriously, and seventy percent of the Republican Party wants to vote for him. Seventy percent. Uh, you, I guarantee, do me a favor, okay? Let's, let's trounce this clown, all right? Let's trounce this clown in 2024, get done with him, and then I guarantee you by mid-2025, there's going to be a lot of Republicans like, I don't know who voted for him. I, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't vote for him. I, I don't know why you keep pointing the finger at me. According to CNN, the intelligence was so sensitive that lawmakers and congressional aides with top security clearances were able to review the material only at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, while their work scrutinizing what was kept itself uh, itself kept in a locked safe. So basically, this was such high high end secrets that if you had a top level security clearance that basically you could not see it without going to the CIA headquarters, walking into a room. How the hell did Trump get this thing out of the room? Oh, I, mean, I mean, this sounds like intent. This sounds like intent to me. Say, so, I want you, you see all that stuff there that you got on Russia? Hey, I just, uh, I want some light reading while I'm uh, sitting on the bath to, in, in the bathroom and, you know, on the toilet. And so could you bring all that uh, super duper secret stuff over here? I, you can't? Well, I'm ordering you as president to bring it to me. And that's just, I know. You can see it. You can see it. The binder was last seen in the White House during Trump's final days in office. The former president had ordered it brought there so he could declassify a host of documents related to the FBI's Russian investigation. I'm in the bathroom. Need to read some stuff. Oh, who are kidding? He doesn't know how to read. CNN is reporting under the care of then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. The binder was scoured by Republican aides working to redact the most sensitive information so it could be declassified and released publicly. According to the report, just before Joe Biden was to be inaugurated, Meadows took a redacted copy back to the Justice Department. But since then, the unredacted files have been missing. Oh, Mark, where did you put them? 
U.S. officials repeatedly declined to discuss any government efforts to locate the binder and confirm that any intelligence was missing. CNN is reporting the binder was not among the classified items found in last year's search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, according to U.S. official familiar with the matter, who said the FBI is not looking specifically for intelligence related to Russia when it obtained a search warrant for the former president's residence last year. Well, because I can tell you right now, that stuff got back to Vladimir Putin you know, in the day, probably even before he left the White House. Probably, I want to, and you guys want to vote for him. You want to vote for him. If if you guys, if any of you guys on the Republican side had, you know, what was it? Um, I can't remember. Podesta, was it Podesta? took a, a piece of material from the archives and balled it up, put it in his pocket, and you guys are like, throw him in jail for the rest of his life. And here is Donald Trump, not only with the boxes and boxes of classified material at, at Mar-a-Lago, boxes and boxes of it, but now a file which his the guy that he was desperately trying to impress, Vladimir Putin, that had all of Vladimir Putin's secrets on it, not only from us, but from our European allies, it's missing. And yet you guys sit there and say, Hunter Biden. I mean, heck, it's not even comparable. If you want to, you want hypocrisy on that level, why aren't you guys looking at Jared Kushner's relationship with the Saudis? You know, billions and billions of dollars there. Oh, that's right. Because you don't care. And this is the fundamental problem with America right now is that you don't care as long as it's an R next to his name. Trump was somewhat prophetic when he said, I could shoot somebody in the middle of the street and no, I would, I, they would still love me. And he's right. If Donald Trump today shot someone in the middle of the street, the first thing you would see is Newsmax and OAN scream, well, the guy deserved it. You know, he, he could sh- he could shoot a priest in the street and they would talk about, well, yeah, but come on. They would. They would. I don't know how you wake these people up. I mean, a large part of it. I mean, we're broadcasting in Chicago or broadcasting in MSP. You know, you're 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 broadcasting in large metro areas where there is a diverse media spectrum there, which is good. But you get out into outstate parts of Illinois and Minnesota, and it's a very different story. And all these people have is, I mean, the reason why they went after NPR, national or NPR, the National Public Radio, one of the reasons why they wanted to go after NPR was because NPR dared to have five minutes of news at the top of the hour, which wasn't filtered through the Republican filter machine. And that's why for a long time they're saying shut it down. And as a matter of fact, there are there are public radio stations in this country where they don't air news because of pressure from the local community. So I just don't know what you do here. I mean, you go out into these towns, the only the only news outlets are vote Republican, vote Republican, vote Republican, vote Republican. All the newspapers that are left, if there are even ones left, are vote Republican, vote Republican, vote Republican. And the, you know, the, you, what you get is you get brainwashing. And, and it's to a point now where the online community that these people are, in, you know, investigating are the ones that 
tried to make it seem like that skewed right media is still too moderate. So these right-wingers get into even more extreme QAnon crap. And I, I, I just don't... I don't know how we undo this because the reality is, is they've successfully, the right has successfully taken over the media in small town America. And sure, you could go, I guess, on an, an, an advertising campaign and try to get people to go to a website or something like this. But the reality is, is that this is just what it is. And even, and, and I've been in small town, I've lived in small town America. And you go out there and you will see these people. You know, even when you occasionally see someone who stands up and says, you know what, I want to do something that's a little bit more moderate or, God forbid, even Democrat, and all of a sudden you get, hey, Bill, you know, me and the boys want to talk with you about something here. You know, you understand you uh, are thinking about doing something commie socialist. And they put pressure on them then. I, I just, I don't know what you can do to stop this. I mean, once again, Donald Trump clearly stole high top secret information and more than likely gave it to the Russians about the Russians and gave it to the Russians and not even a, 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 a hiccup, not even a, you know, okay. I mean, you've got the Republican, you got all the house Republicans so terrified of Trump that they have voted for what even Fox news and other, even the far right news outlets are like, there's no there, there guys, what are you investigating? And I, I just don't know where you go. I don't know how you, you, you can kind of walk this back. But when you look at all the things that are there, and s- still 70% of the Republican Party says, that's our guy. I, I, I mean, you go back to John Edwards. John Edwards had the, 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 uh, the, the scandal uh, with, with the, uh, that he had. Yeah, he had the scandal there. And, and basically what ended up happening, he got ran out. Well, Trump's had how many sex scandals? And they still love him. They still love him. We'll take a break. It's the Matt McNeil Show. You know it's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Breaking news here. Matthew Perry, the Friends actor who publicly struggled with drinking and drug use for decades, died from acute effects of ketamine. Uh, the Los Angeles County ex- Medical Examiner said on an to- autopsy that was released on Friday. The coroner's office said uh, Perry, who also had the opiate uh, buprenorphine in his system, had uh, drowned in an accident. The report said he had coronary art disease. The medical examiner also listed the effects of the opiate as a contributing factor in his death. So I, I think that a lot of people were hoping he hadn't – it wasn't drugs, but it sounds like it was. That, uh, that was once again breaking news from the New York Times, Matthew Perry's uh, cause of death. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So let me tie a lot of this back together. So what is an offshoot of a part of our country where they only hear a filtered news that basically is the other side needs to die and you're a righteous angel. You know, that sort of thing. Well, I think we're seeing it playing out. Now, I'm not sure about how much this has happened in Illinois or in Indiana or Wisconsin, but I want to bring up a story here. This is out of Colorado. 
People are demanding answers from a Colorado school district after a racist video involving students was circulated for the second time. The video shows two girls blurting out different variations of the N-word. The Cherry Creek School District says that students involved in the video faced significant discipline. But it follows another racist video created by students in the district that surfaced on November 15th. In that one, the students can be heard saying various things. Um, I don't want to even get into that. What we're trying to say within our district is we don't uh, we we need to name it. We need to call it out. We need to make sure that it, the policies are clear and that we normalize this behavior. Um, Rocky Mountain NAACP President Portia Prescott said the video was uh, brought to her by a concerned black parent. There needs to be a transparent form of discipline that isn't private. Absolutely. I agree with that. Now, the reason I find this to be interesting is in the state of Minnesota as well, we have had numerous cases of racist incidents within these school districts, these rural school districts. And particularly, I want to bring up one that is desperately being swept under the rug. And this one has to do with the Waterville Elysian Morristown School District, which is kind of south and a little bit west of the Twin Cities metro, basically west of Rochester, Minnesota, over in that area. There was on camera caught a racist attack on what was a former student, a black student, um, that was clearly there was racist intent there um, with some of the things that were written on the cars and stuff like this at this individual's home. A student, by the way, who had actually transferred out of the school district and the population of this school went and tracked him down. And when I say population, what I'm talking about is by the video alone, it looks to be 20 to 25 percent of the school district was involved in this racist attack. I want to put that out there again because that's pretty insane. 20 to 25 percent. If that video shows the people from that school, the Waterville Elysian Morristown School District, 20 to 25 percent of the school district was there. Now, we find out as well, this was a series of attacks that then over the few days this is they canceled the homecoming game and dance and all this stuff uh because of this um one of the um i think it was a a lesbian couple i think one of them was a teacher they were targeted by these kids and then there was an incident where they busted into the school which once again the school has now shut down now there hasn't been a lot of discussion about this since the initial reporting of this incident, but it's clear something really horrible happened. And my guess is, and, and I don't think this is too hard to to understand, that when you have this many kids involved, undeniably you have kids of some of the wealthiest families in that district probably involved in this, which then comes the, hey, Sheriff Bob, you know, I gave a lot of money to your reelection campaign, so... I don't think a lot of of, of of investigation has happened here. And the school district itself, even though the, these attacks happened with students and happened basically off campus, does not want to talk about anything that's happened with it in any capacity. That, by the way, once again, not the only racist incident or bigoted incident that I've seen come out in Minnesota schools, in rural Minnesota schools in the last year. I think there have been like four. 
Needless to say, I, I when you start seeing this happen, I think what you're seeing is almost this mentality of, well, the parents can't do this because there's consequences. But if the kids coordinated through their parents are doing this sort of thing, and don't tell me if you have 20 to 25% of the school involved in a racist attack, I guarantee you there's some parents that knew exactly what was going to happen. That the mentality is, is, well, we can be racist and bigoted as we want to be because we're kids and, you know, harmless fun is what the argument's going to be. We've learned our lesson, bob-a-da-bob-a-da-bob-a-da-bob. I think you need to start, we need to start paying attention to this because once again, this is after 20 years of the only news a lot of these people get is far right extremist news. The only narrative they get is, you know, the, the, you know, frankly is black people are bad. Gay people are bad. Transgender people are bad. Minorities are bad. And they, it, it gets reaffirmed and reaffirmed. But the parents know now because things had gotten so bad, we put laws into place to to stop kind of hate crimes. So now it seems like they're they're unleashing their kids on the other people as a way to kind of still keep it going with, come on, you're not going to destroy a kid's life. I don't know. It would seem to me that kid that was a, the target of the racist attack in Minnesota, eh, I think you guys have done some damage there. I, we have to, you have to be paying attention to this. I think this is starting to go on more and more across the country, and I think, like I said, I think the right, far right extremists, racists, and bigots are using kids as a way to get away with this without as much consequences as they should be. By the way, just if you're looking at the camera, the brand new calendar for the radio station is here. You can go to our webpage, am950radio.com, and find out information about that. Chicago, goodbye. Minneapolis-St. Paul, hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Matt Patrick Metz is going to join us about 4.30 this afternoon. So, uh, you know, if you're not by your, you know, don't drive off the road or anything like that. But if you're not by your computer, uh, of course, we we broadcast the show on video. It's radio for your eyes, and you can find it. Uh, we stream it on YouTube, on all the social media pages, on my Facebook page, Matt McNeil Show, Progressive Citizen X. You can find it there. By all means, bon appetit. Now, uh, if you, what we're going to do is, I'm going to show on the camera here uh, for the next few minutes. We've got the brand new calendar in. And there she is. It's a beaut. Um, that uh, the cover photo this year is Ed Shave Lake up in uh, off the Echo Trail. I was up there this summer. Uh, Got to see that. Just gorgeous. Just gorgeous up there. Uh, I don't want to show too many of the photos here, but I'll show January, which is a lovely little ice sculpture out there. Ah, that looks pretty. Guy look like a pretty a pretty pretty thing. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, oh, it's a Here's a here's a, a great photo. That's October. I took that one over on uh, Lake Minnetonka State uh, Lake Minnetonka Regional Park. Lake Minnetonka Regional Park. That's where I took that one there. So, but yeah, there it is. The calendar is it's in. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful, and uh, you can get that as well. Now, once again, there's the, the the calendar is a thank you 
for people if they sponsor AM950. Now, go to our website, am950radio.com. There's a, multiple different levels on how you can sponsor. And, uh, you know, at certain levels, the thank you is a calendar. So uh, there's other one, there are other levels as well. So check those all out, am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com. Uh, Patrick, what do you think? Does it look good? I think it looks spectacular. Oh, it does look good. I took I, – I had a – if you notice, one thing I'm going to point out here. Uh, if you notice – uh, because of the, <laughs> I wasn't moving around too much, the pictures for the first uh, uh, the first two months, the pictures are basically uh, just ba- right around the cities. <laughs> I did, you know, I really I didn't have too much mobility, and so I yeah, I couldn't necessarily go too far. So because of uh, you know recovering, so but there you go, you have you have uh, you know you get a little insight there. And by the way, if you look at the picture on the cover, you'll notice on the left side there's a ring. That was my daughter. She kept throwing rocks. I said, "Stop throwing rocks." <laughs> I'm trying to take a picture. Still ended up being the best picture I took of the year. Uh, that it's in Minnesota for sure. Uh, so enjoy. Uh, go to am950radio.com and check that out. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Now I know that there are going to be some people that are going to come to me and they're saying, "Matt, I completely disagree with you on this issue. I understand." <sighs> I do not like revictimizing victims. I do not like revictimizing victims. And what Mary Moriarty, the Hennepin County Attorney, and once again, I'm going to reiterate what I've said from the beginning. I voted for Mary Moriarty because undeniably there had to be a a you know, a, a reconciling of the heavy-handed approach that the the office has had, where it has been. You know, and I think the 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 when you when you look at um, like uh, Jaleel Stallings, where it was clear that he hadn't done anything wrong, and yet it did not stop. Not only did it not stop the police, but it not, did not stop the prosecutors from trying to ch- chuck the guy in jail for years. We have just now had two people, two people. Who, including the one uh, Haynes, who was just released. For God's sakes, how in the hell did you even put him into jail? It was clear you had the wrong guy. It was so intentionally you had the wrong guy. It definitely needed to be fixed. But the response to a heavy-handed rep- approach is not to do the complete opposite and to do such a light-handed approach that all you do is re-victimize victims under the argument that you're doing something righteous. Stop it. Stop. You're not. You're just re-victimizing the victims here. And I don't think people need to be going to jail for the rest of their lives on on crimes it's, it, that, that that it's clear they committed. I mean, I, let's talk about those two con- crimes that the, 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 the people that were let go, they clearly didn't commit those crimes. But when you do have evidence that says someone has done a crime and is guilty of said crime, you have to hold them accountable. And we have talked about this mentality of, well, they were just children, children who murdered somebody, Ch- children who were the gunmen. And the idea that these kids should be given you know, home detention so they get DoorDash and Netflix as a punishment. I, I just I don't know I don't know where in the world you get the idea that this is this is somehow justice for the victims. And if in your 
attempt to be righteous, you're trampling over the true and undeniable emotional suffering of the victims. You're doing it wrong. Now, I want to make sure I repeat something, too. I've got three kids. At no point did any of my kids try to murder somebody. At no point did any of the other kids my kids knew tried to murder somebody. That didn't happen. Now, I know what you're saying. But Matt, you need to factor in their background. I, I'm Okay, I'll factor it in. They don't need to go to jail for the rest of their life. But they need to go to jail for a little bit of their life, don't they? There has to be some consequences for their actions. I mean, Kim Potter, we, we put her in jail. I have zero doubt she did not intend to kill Dante Wright. I have zero doubt of it. But she still did kill Dante Wright. And she went to jail for that. Because there's got to be some level of consequences. This is disappointing. After rejecting a similar offer in October, a Hennepin County judge accepted a plea deal Thursday that will allow the co-defendant in a deadly Northeast Minneapolis carjacking to elude prison time, a decision met by disbelief and outrage by the murdered man's family. Stephen Markey, a 39-year-old paralegal from Plymouth, was gunned down by two teens in June of 2019. One of the teens was sentenced to 21 years in prison. Meanwhile, um, Hussein Braveheart's case had been painfully pending for the Markey's family. The case came to an abrupt conclusion Thursday. Initially scheduled as a routine hearing, it quickly shifted to a plea, then straight to a sentencing, almost like they intentionally tried to do this as quick as possible because they knew that the public backlash on this would be bad. Prosecutors amended charges from aiding second-degree murder to first-degree attempted assault. Now, you can't do assault with a gun. That's called... So once again, the prosecutors amended the charges from aiding second-degree murder to first-degree attempted assault, dramatically decreasing the level of the crime. Braveheart pleaded guilty to assault. His negotiated sentence of four years is complete with the time served. As she listened to the public defenders read over the plea terms, Markey's mother, Catherine Markey, took off her glasses and face trembled as she cried. He did not assault Steve. He killed him. In a rare move six weeks ago, District Judge Michael Burns rejected a five-year probation play deal for Braveheart. If the violated terms of probation, the court would have imposed the same sentence as Jareed Oshman. Prosecutors say Oshman fired the shot that killed Markey. But with the amended charges, the first-degree assault attempted assault, Burns said his judicial discretion does not extend to reject a sentence that contains, conforms to guidelines. Burns did express his unease with the deal, though. And I want to repeat this part here. I have great concerns whether the system is doing you a service or disservice, Burns said to Braveheart, adding that he is unsure if he's going to lead to more harm to you or someone else. To the Marquis, Burns said that he is sorry for their loss. Frankly, I'm sorry that the way that you've been treated during this part of the process as well. Even the judge is calling out the county attorney for how badly they have treated the, the, the victim's family here. The family said that Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty's office repeatedly violated crime victim rights by not giving them timely notice of plea deal offers. They first learned of the new plea deal in court on Thursday. Yeah, you failed, Mary. Your office failed 
horribly. There is a dead person here, and you did not – because you didn't want the victim's family to be upset, you, you basically sprung this on them and re-victimized them in front of everybody. Come on. What are you doing? When Deputy County Attorney Sarah Davis announced the amended charge of attempted assault, the family bursted into incredulous laughter. Hennepin County Attorney Spokesperson Nicholas Kimball said the family refused to meet with the staff to hear about the offer. Staff attempted multiple times to discuss it with them, beginning as soon as they heard the defense would be making an offer. Susan Markey, the victim's sister and an attorney, countered that there was no meaningful form of notice. The office reached out to them at 4.30 p.m. on Wednesday, emailed them an hour later, then attempted to tell them a half an hour before Thursday's hearing. So... They, they, your entire argument, it's not like three weeks earlier. You've been, we tried to call 12 times. You waited till 4.30 on the day before the hearing. Then at 5.30, you emailed them. And then when you hadn't heard back, you basically frantically tried to chase them down before the court hearing. They didn't say what the content of the plea agreement would be because they didn't want us to know in advance. So it doesn't sound like you told them that, that what was going on there either. Moriarty said in a statement that some will agree and others will disagree whether this is fair and just result. I'm going to guarantee you, Mary, the vast majority of people don't think this is a fair result. That tree, uh, Mr. Braveheart, the juvenile when he committed this terrible crime, has made enormous strides and been responsive to treatment during the past five years of his incarceration. Four years of his incarceration. Four years. Four years of incarceration. That treatment might have prevented the crime in the first place if he had received it. We believe the treatment will prevent the future crime if it continues, which this sentence allows. As always, our hearts go out with the Markey family. Now it's time for me to for incredulous laughter. Please stop. Just, just stop. Mary, stop. Stop acting like you have compassion for the victims. Stop it. Stop it. You cannot say you do if you're doing this stuff. And your office is horribly being managed right now. Horribly being managed. The day of the crime, Braveheart and co-defendant Oshman drew semi-automatic pistols at Markey near the intersection of 14th and Tyler Street Northeast. Braveheart was 15. Osman was 17. Osman ordered Markey out of the vehicle and shot him. Braveheart fired at the vehicle as a bleeding Markey drove off. So likely one or two of his bullets ended up in the victim as well. And uh, the, the teens fled, were arrested after crashing a stolen SUV. Brian Markey said numerous bullets were found in his brother's body. This is a death of a thousand paper cuts. Which paper cut did it? Apparently, we have decided it's acceptable to commit the ultimate act with impunity and immunity. We're all ashamed. We feel sorry for Mr. Braveheart. We do. That's not good enough, and it's embarrassing, he said. There was no, there was no attempted assault. It was attempted murder. I mean, if you're firing rounds at a car, that's not assault. Come on, what are you doing? When Burns rejected the first plea deal, he said he didn't find Braveheart particularly amenable to probation as attorneys on both sides had argued throughout the three-hour court hearing. He said records showed Braveheart's treatment was punctuated with outbursts, disrespect to staff and other residents, episodes of physical violence, and harassment in staff and other residents. Now, this is the judge when he first refused the first plea deal versus this is this is what Mariarty has said. He committed a crime. He's made enormous strides and has been responsible for treatment. One of you is lying. Is it the judge or is it Moriarty? Because I kind of get the impression Moriarty looked at this and said, 15-year-old, we've got to let them go. Mind you, 
I've had three kids. None of them tried to murder anybody because of brain size or anything like that. Come on. So the judge even said when he rejected the first plea agreement that this kid didn't seem to be accepting the seriousness of the crime. Markey says it was a political decision by Mary Moriarty. She amended the charges so the judge would not give a sentence beyond what is available for attempted assault. What it is is an end around with the legislative system and the sentencing guidelines. We're very disappointed. Can't I agree wholeheartedly with it? Um, Braveheart remains held on $250,000 bail, appears to be in court for two pending armed robbery cases. He and Osmond are accused in those cases of robbing victims of the cars and money in the days leading up to Markey's murder. If he posts bail, he could be released as early as Monday. Four years for murdering somebody. And don't give me this crap about, well, the one bullet that hit him was from this guy. That, that's the one we determined. No. If he was firing rounds at the car, it's attempted murder. This is deeply disappointing. Once again, you can make an argument. Matt, okay, it's a 15-year-old kid. All right, fine. How about at least 10 years in jail? How about at least 10 years? I mean, and once again, you you put the the 17-year-old in jail for 21 years. 21. This guy gets four. And then you change the the, the rules because this was, it it almost feels like, Moriarty, you were so damn determined to be right on this. So damn determined that you basically, after the judge said, I don't see the justification here. And turn it down. You decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn this into basically freaking jaywalking and let the guy walk. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but not by much. And all you do is re-victimize the victim in your noble little cause. Well, it's on you now. If this guy comes on out, if he commits another crime, you don't have the right to argue about, I'm just as disappointed as everyone. No, you can't. Save your false pity. Save your false condolences. You don't really mean it if this is what you're doing to the victims. You're so determined to be right, and you're so determined to be on your little cause, you don't even realize to take the step back and realize you might just be wrong here. Because I can look at this case, I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Does the guy, should the guy go to jail for the rest of his life? No. But should the guy go to jail for more than four years? And then have the the, the county itself basically play games with the sentencing guidelines to get the guy out of jail? You're just re-victimizing the victims. Shame on you, Mary. Shame on you. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Steve, hold on. I might get your call here after the break. And once again, Mets at the bottom of the hour. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205. Steve is in Minneapolis, wanted to chime in. Uh, welcome on into the show, Steve. Hi. Um, okay, so one of my clients is a school counselor. Yes. 
And she has had to deal with uh, a family that just moved here from Nevada. The boy is 13 years old, and he's been homeschooled up till now. And now they dump it on her that she's got to find a school for this kid to go to. And she says that anytime the boy is challenged on pretty much anything, he goes on a racist tirade. <laughs> really? Um, he didn't come out of the womb like that. No, he did. Now, is this in the he metro? Is this in the met- is this in the metro area, Steve? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So I'm like, what do you even start to do with that? I, uh, it's crazy. You can't ignore it, though, because you just say, and thanks, Steve, I appreciate the, the insight there. And he's referring back to the story we had at the end of the, sec- the first hour there. Um, you can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. You can't just shrug your shoulders. Because if you do, you basically, you encourage, and let's, let's take this back to the other story I was just talking about. You, you, if you basically make it to where, hey, if you're 15 years old, you can murder somebody. You'll be out of, hey, three, four years. That's it. You'd probably be in juvie at home then on probation. All you have to do is make sure you look sincere when you say, I'm sorry. Then, you, you know, it's, it's, you set a standard here. And I think that if you look at this kid and you say, okay, your racism isn't acceptable. And then you don't, you have to call the parents in and say, okay, this has to stop and make them understand that there, there, there are consequences for speaking like this within society. What have you done to prepare that kid for the real world? I, you know, that's the, that's one of the things is that, you know, I, I get tired of, of this whole argument of, well, we have to treat these kids differently when it comes to serious problems, because we we don't want them to to have their life derailed, and I I can understand that to a point, but I also say, but in the real world, if you if you if an adult tries to shoot another adult in a car, they're going to jail for a few days, more than four years. If you're an adult and you go into your office place and you start going on a racist tirade, at the very least, you're getting fired. Shouldn't you teach those lessons too? <laughs> Aren't those important lessons of life? I would think those would be important lessons of life. <sighs> I'll tell you what. Let's let's take a break. We'll change subjects dramatically when we do return. Paul Metza is going to join us. He has got uh, a, a a huge a huge show coming up here. Uh, coming up next week, we got to talk about that. We're going to play some of his music, and we're just going to talk to Paul because he's good people, and I always love talking to Paul. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, it's Paul freaking Metza. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a living Minnesota music legend. He's kind enough to take pity on my poor little show and join me and, and have conversation. Uh, Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate the time as always. 
Well, it's always a pleasure being on with you, Matt. I thought about you last night. We did a little warm-up gig for the big show at the Dakota on Wednesday the 20th. Uh, up in uh, Virginia, Minnesota, nice. a bar called Flamers on the main drag. I, I know Flamers. I've been to Flamers. Yeah. Uh, good place. I mean, how, how'd the show go? Oh, it was great. It was, uh, you know, that's the oldest bar in Virginia. It was uh, open in stores in 1905. Um the before that there was a bar there, but but as you probably know, the main street of uh, Virginia burnt down in around 1900 because yeah. everything was wood. Yep. So, uh, but it was one of the first bars inside a brick building, and we had a ball. Uh, by the way, and I want to make sure I give you once again a lot of credit because of the uh, the advice you gave me when I went down to New Orleans about great music and stuff like this. I I, I went to uh, the um, um, Preservation Hall. Jazz drummer legend Shannon Powell, as well as the 91-year-old Jazz Hall of Famer sax player Charlie Gabriel in a seven-piece band together. Holy God, was that good. Oh, does that sound like fun? Well, it just um, uh, goes to show you, you know, if you keep your chops up, you can play as long as you're walking the earth. I mean, Bob Dylan just got done with, uh, oh, geez, I think it was about a year and a half tour. Uh couple of months at a time and you know he's turning 83 on may 24th so uh you know god and i love uh, the older musicians because that's if you keep playing you actually will get better although all musicians have those points in their career that uh goes man i'm not going anywhere but uh, I, I, I have those dry spells, but I'm, I'm feeling really good. Uh, Sonny and I, Sonny came up to play my regular gig with me here in Duluth on Wednesday at the Blackwater Lounge, my happy hour show. So uh, wow. I'm coming I'm coming down on Monday, and we're going to do a couple more rehearsals. And, you know, back when we were playing every week, we started playing 25 years ago. Uh, I got a call out of the blue from Sonny. When he was playing at Gabby's on the river, if you remember Gabby's, it'd be, it turned into uh, Psycho Susie's yeah. for years. But uh, we played there in the summertime. And then uh, one thing led to another. I got an offer to be the music director at Famous Dave's Barbecue and Blues in Uptown Minneapolis. So um, that came with uh, two happy hours. So, And when the summer got over at Gabby's, because it was an outdoor gig, we moved over to Famous Dave's and... Uh, we ended up playing there for well during my run there. My tenure was seven years, but uh, but we've been playing yeah every year for uh, twenty five years, including a, uh, a legendary trip to Reykjavik, Iceland, with the Minnesota Department of Tourism, and uh, uh, which w- which was a lot of fun. And uh, so it's just a joy playing. I think one of the things why we've been around so long is we've only played. Uh, you know, kind of weekly for years. Sometimes when you're playing night by night with the same guys or gals, that's kind of when the burnout starts. But we've been lucky. We, we And we're such good friends. It's just a really fun time anytime we get together to play. We need to make sure we get the specifics out here. Wednesday, December 20th, 7 p.m., you guys are at the Dakota. Uh, doors at 5.30. Tickets, uh, the show starts at 7. Uh, tickets are available. Go to the Dakota's website there. It's the 25th anniversary show with you and Sonny Earl. Talk about the idea of this coming together. At one point did you say, you know what, we need to do a show? Well, it was uh, when I moved to Duluth a couple of years ago, Sonny came up a couple times 
I can't remember. Oh, and the, yeah, we played. I did a uh, when my book Alphabet Jazz came out. We did a a big show at the Women's Club, so we got together yeah. there with a lovely singer, Mary Harris. But we really haven't played that much. Um, so we were just kind of looking at the calendar, and uh, we started in the summer of '98, uh, and it's it that's 25 years, and that's as good as a reason to any to celebrate. Lowell Pickett, uh, the great um, uh, brains behind the uh, the Dakota Jazz Club, called me. He wanted me to open up another show for somebody. And I said, I was actually booked that night, so I couldn't come down to Minneapolis to do it. So I said, by the way, Lowell, now that I've got you on the line, uh, Sonny and Earl and I are celebrating our 25th anniversary. And we'd love to do it at the Dakota. So he threw me out a couple of dates on that phone call. I grabbed one, and uh, and uh, it worked out really well. We I played the Dakota probably oh, six, seven, eight times. Sonny and I opened for John Hammond there in 2011. I've played with Maria Muldor there. Actually, uh, a fun gig solo opened up for uh, John Oates of Hall & Oates. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Betty Levette, uh and Joan Osborne and others. It's just a really classy club. The sound man Craig Icorn is just a wizard, and it's just and they treat you, uh, they treat you like real human beings, which not every nightclub does. No, well, and they also can I mention the food? Uh, oh, the, yeah. yeah, the food is top notch there. And you're a foodie. I so, am. Well, uh, I'm, I just like eating now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you you bring that about Dakota. It, the Dakota's got such a good rep. Because of that, I think it's it's one of those you get clubs like that one across the country where people will search out that club because oh it, they're going to treat me with respect as opposed to especially if you get if you've been on the you know in the market and been working for twenty twenty five years you don't need to go to another dive bar you want to go to yeah. some place where you're going to you know, it's going to be an enjoyable experience. Well, uh, in fact, I just saw an article in the L.A. Times. Uh, uh, name-checking the Dakota and said, why can't we have a club like this in Los Angeles? Uh, you know, I played the Iridium a few years back for the 60th anniversary of Gertie's Folk City, which was a great uh, honor. I played with Willie Nile and Rob Stoner, who's a bass player in the Rolling Thunder Review, and um, and some uh, other great musicians. And the Iridium is, is close uh, to the uh, Dakota in terms of they have a wide variety of music that's not just jazz. You look at who the Dakota's been bringing in, man. They had, they've had, they had uh, just over the last several months, Steve Earle, uh, I think Livingston Taylor, uh, Lucinda Williams. My God, it's those are the biggest names in, in music uh, in terms of Americana and that they uh, choose to play the Dakota says a lot about the club. Well, and, and it, it, the reputation is there. I think one of the things that I noticed too is you get, you know, you know, it, it, in Minnesota it's harder because having gone to New Orleans and having gone uh, and spent a lot of time in um, in the, the southeastern United States, you get a lot of venues there that can do outdoor shows and you do parks and stuff much longer than we do here. As you did, you did the Psycho Susies and that you know over by the river there. You can do some of that here. But you need to have clubs here because comes October, it gets a little bit more difficult to do outdoor shows. <laughs> you know, uh, 
1997, I had a solo gig up in Ely, Minnesota at the, uh, it was called the Yugoslav National Club. It cost $2 a year to join. And uh, it was a funky little club on the second floor of the building right off the main drag. And it was, we knew it was going to be cold. That night broke the 100-year record for cold. It was 60 below without a wind chill. I had this great idea. There was a guy from WELY radio station camped in a snowbank uh, broadcasting live. And I had a uh, an idea. I'm going to take my guitar, go out there in the morning and play and see if I can't uh, break the Guinness World Record for for coldest outdoor concerts. And I woke up this morning, that morning, I said... What was I thinking of? <laughs> but, you know, there's funny because they had uh, the pond hockey tournament, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And I put together a band with Stan Kipper, Greg Genhofer, and one other, and Bobby Vandell. All three musicians, all three hockey players. So they did a song. Uh, I forget what song they did. And then they also did the national anthem. And Greg is looking in to sing if that might uh, break the Guinness Book of World Records for loudest or coldest outdoor show because I, I believe uh, they had iced out part of uh, Lake Calhoun and uh, that's where the the hockey tournament and yeah. and the performance was. So I might get in there as a manager with that uh, record. Oh, I'm Dave McCoskey. Well, I mean, I get I guess you don't have a horn section if it gets that cold. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it kind of it cuts back on that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was I remember I was down down south and I'm I'm walking through Port Royal, South Carolina, and there's this great musician playing. I'm like, holy God, it's Joe Lewis Walker. And it's, yeah. it's like, you know, and that's, I think, one of the things that I, I I would love to see Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota as a whole get better at that. If we have four months, fine. Everyone gets out. Everyone plays music. Kind of enjoy it because that is, I think, how you cultivate a, a better music scene all around. The musicians get to play more. People get to enjoy it more. It encourages more people to get into music. I think it, it's it, there is something to that that exposing more people to to the blues and to jazz especially I think is, is a good thing. And, I, and I'm glad you're, you guys are still doing it. Well, you know, I've had an idea for years, and some some architect out there grabbed this idea and run with it. But when they were building the uh, new library downtown, I uh, uh, posited the idea that there's no reason why they couldn't have an outdoor stage uh, that's heated for the musicians, but still have a place where... You know, we're Minnesotans. We'll bundle up and uh, and go outdoors to, to whether we're skiing or snowshoeing or hiking. There's no reason they couldn't have a heated stage and kind of like an amphitheater to keep the musicians rolling and have outdoor concerts all year long. I'd love it. How about Nicollet Island, man, right in the downtown? Talk, talk about photo ready, you know, musicians out there playing in the heart of downtown Minneapolis right on the river. I am so that we got to get to McNeil Metza nightclub 20, you know, 12 months out of the year, live music outside. Let's do that, Matt. Yeah, I'm well, down. We're going to have down. pasties are going to be on the menu. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just pasties. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be the worst idea. I, I, I've, as a person who has been in the music industry as long as you have, and, and you've seen it in very different stages as where it's at, you know, it, you know, it does. I feel as if Minneapolis's music scene, Minnesota's music scene, is just as strong as ever. 
it might not have as many, you know, a, a, a real beacon like a Prince right now. And Dylan is off kind of doing his own thing. But as far as a local musician, the replacements are, there's no one like that necessarily. But it's thick and deep. And gosh, there's just a ton of great music in this town right now. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Odessa. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Writer, rapper. And I, I mean, I, I'm I, in she, love with her, by the way. I am yeah. totally in love with this. I think she's brilliant. Oh, it's absolutely drop dead gorgeous as well. She was up. She played the West Theater in the West End of Duluth uh, last month. She has a, a, a book out, a book of poetry called Tits on the Moon. And uh, she's a great I follow her on Twitter. She's a great I, I told her, her next book should just be her tweets. Call it Tweets on the Moon. But uh, uh yeah, she is, uh, uh, you know, she's phenomenal. Yes. And Lizzo's great. Uh, and then, you know, you have, you know, the Jayhawks still get together. Soul yep. Simon, Soul Simon's out there. I missed the uh, John Lennon tribute with the world's greatest rock and roll singer, Curtis A. I don't think there was, the, there's the number of clubs there were. Back when I started playing in the uh, early to mid-80s, I would play, I'd take Sunday night... Well, I picked up a gig on Sunday nights. So many times I'd be playing solo on Sunday and Monday, duo on uh, Tuesday, played with Cats and the Stars on Tuesdays for four years at the 400. And then I moved it up and I had a five-piece band at the uh, Five Corners, also on the West Bank. And then on the weekend, I would be playing the Union and the Caboose. So there was a time, yeah. if you were versatile enough to play in several different formats and situations, you could play, I think, my biggest year was 327 gigs. Wow. Well, I mean, you, Cedar Riverside used to have so many more clubs over there. And Washington yeah. used to have more clubs over on Washington. And, you know, there, there used to be these little holes in the wall, Dinky Town and Stadium Village that used to, you know, you could go down there and play constantly. And, yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the problems with a, a city that's gaining popularity. The, the land becomes, you know, as, as developers will say, it's too valuable for what's on it at that point. And so you kind of lose a lot of that. But there are still a lot of venues. You know, I, I, it would be good. I think we need to do this. We need to get more, better with the, you know, kind of promoting the local music. By the way, I'm going to give you another band. You want, you want the millennials generation Z? Go get Dury, the, the brother sister duo out of Burnsville. They're phenomenal. I've heard of them. They're I've phenomenal. Them. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, nice, you know, good up and comers out there. I, uh, you know, what, what you're talking about, uh, Rents rising and everything. Yeah. That same damn thing happened down in Austin, Texas. And yep. I played down in Austin oh, close to a dozen times over the years. But all those, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, a four-piece band could rent a house in South Austin for three or 400 bucks. And they, you know, could play a, a, a two or three gigs a month to pay the rent and then uh, enjoy the rest of all the Austin nightlife and other, other gigs to play. But now once Dell Computers went in there... It's impossible to be able to to, to afford rent, um, and so there, uh, you know, so those musicians that were able to live by on, you know, what a lot of musicians do when they're when they're getting started, you know, you live on next to nothing. Yeah, uh, you know, you live to play, and uh, you know, in my case, and in, in the case of the Dakota, uh, you know, I've been. One of the reasons why I never learned how to cook is I played in so many nightclubs that had food. <laughs> I never, I never really learned how to do anything other than spaghetti and hamburgers. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. You know, one bar that reopened uh, after the pandemic that's starting to have music at least uh, 
uh, four nights a week now at Shaw's Bar, where I played with Sonny Earl and Willie Walker for 10 years every Thursday night for happy hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is always, and if people want a good, funky, down-home bar uh, with really good bar food, I suggest Shaw's over there on 17th and, and University. It's just a, a wonderful club. But yeah, the more more music clubs, the better. More work for musicians, the better. The one thing Minneapolis has, like Austin, is a really sophisticated music audience that yep. loves a variety of styles of music. Back in the day when all the clubs were uh, hitting on full, uh, you know, on all cylinders, you could, in the course of a week in Minneapolis, you could go hear reggae, blues, jazz, folk, uh, you know, singer-songwriters, bluegrass country music and uh, and basically have all those choices on any night of the week. That's how rich at least the uh, music scene I came up in in the Twin Cities and uh, I don't know if it will ever be like that again because truthfully uh, you know, it's we're living in this computer world. Everybody's on their on their phones and on their computer screens. I don't think overall, I hope I'm wrong, that Somebody, when they turn 18 or drinking age, you know, the legal drinking age, when we were that age, Matt, the first thing we did was go to a bar and hear music, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if kids coming of age have that same uh, fire in their belly that we did. I know there's a lot of great young musicians out there and young uh, music fans. So, uh, but I just, you know, Times change, but uh, that's why when you tell the story of going to see the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, it's just great to know some things never change. You well, know? I, I I grew up in the era where First Avenue was my club. You know, yeah. and it, it's a different beast today. And don't get me wrong; they still play a lot of great local bands and stuff. Get in there, but back then it was you know going in there you know five nights a week, and 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 it was you, you kind of enjoy that. Can I ask one last thing here for you before we, we we're going to play a song from you? We got to. Uh, your your song "Train from Montana." We're going to play that out today, but I want to ask you: Have you ever thought about revisiting going on the road and just kind of being the the the, the rambling musician and going across the country and just you know finding clubs and just working your way across the country that way? Uh, you know, I, I I've done very little of getting in a car and 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 going out of state. Now I played Boston, New York City, Los Angeles. Miami and Austin, but usually what I do is I go down for a week, do a gig or two, and then just hang out and see the sights. If I ever had a situation where I could, let's say, get an opening act with somebody like Lyle Lovett, whose uh, debut show I opened up for at the Fitzgerald Theater in 89 at uh, uh, in St. Paul, I would do it. But to, you know, I have a lot of uh, I give a lot of credit to Charlie Parr. Charlie gets out there in his van and he'll go out and do 40 or 50 dates in 55 or 60 days. A lot of times he sleeps in his van at restaurants. And I think I might be a little too old for that. I like the creature <laughs> comforts. And it's one reason why I've loved house gigs, weekly gigs, is I've been able to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> so I do, I would love to travel, yes, but I have to do it with a certain amount of comfort. I would love to see you play Preservation Hall, man. That yeah. would be amazing. That would be oh, amazing. 
I would love to play. Uh, there's several clubs down there I'd, I'd, uh-huh. I'd love to get to. Uh-huh. Plus, just uh, New Orleans is just it's one of the greatest cities in the world. Uh, it's it's good fun, man. Now, uh, we, of course, once again, you want to see him in Minneapolis-St. Paul. You don't get to see him that often. You have a chance to see him on Wednesday. This is at the Dakota. Doors open at 530. Shows at 7 o'clock. Paul Metza, Sonny Earl, together at the Dakota. Great food. Make sure you tip your waiters and waitresses. It's a good time out there. Paul, it sounds like we might have a pair of tickets to give away. Is that right? The Dakota was nice enough to offer Matt McNeil personally two pairs of tickets to give away. Two pairs? Yep. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, should we do that? We'll give away two pairs of tickets. Uh, let's, uh, I'll tell you what. We'll do that when we're going into the break. Paul, uh, as always, and always an enjoyable conversation. Congratulations on the gig. All my best, and all my best to Sonny Earl as well. Thank you, and everybody out there on AM 950 Radio Land, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, my friend. Happy holidays yeah. indeed. Thanks, brother. I always appreciate it. Take care. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's give away a pair of tickets. Let's give away a pair of tickets. Caller number five. Caller number five. At 952-946-6205, caller number five, you will win yourself a pair of tickets to go see Paul Metza, Sonny Earl at the Dakota on Wednesday. Good luck. 952-946-6205, caller number five, you're going to win. We'll take a break. Come on back. Listen to some Metza music on the way out on a Friday. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. By the way, uh, there is a website even, paulandsunny.com, paulandsunny, S-O-N-N-Y.com. You can go over there, and it has all the details about the show coming up here on Wednesday at the Dakota. And if you haven't been to the Dakota, that's just a great music venue. And and good fun. It's a, a lot of good times over there, and fantastic food too. So go check that out at the Dakota. Go. Che- it's it's Metza, man. It's it's Paul freaking Metza, and he, he is a, he's a Minnesota living legend as far as music goes, as well as also he uh, of course Sonny Earl there as well. You're not gonna you're you're gonna get a, a tight show. So go out and enjoy that at the Dakota on Wednesday. Uh, Patrick, uh, if you don't mind me asking, do we have the name of the winner at least for our tickets here? We do. Brad from Robbinsdale. You've won a pair of tickets to see Paul and Sonny Earl on Wednesday night at the Dakota Jazz Club in Minneapolis. Congratulations, Brad. I hope you enjoy that. Uh, we are playing some Paul Metza out. The song here is Train from Montana. This is Paul Metza taking us out on your Friday. Uh, Native Roots Radio, I'm awake. That comes up next. Have a fantastic weekend. We are back here on a Monday with a brand new show. Until then, see ya.
train for Montana when I was young boy. That girl was much older, too old for me to enjoy. She sat next to me and she let her hands touch. She sat next to me and she let her hands touch. I wanted to kiss her, but I've been at the guts. From red rods to white fish, they had a rejoicing. Red lights to white fish, big chatter, rejoice. If you can't find it there, don't bother looking for your soul. Sunset and belly, it came up at Fargo. Sunset and belly, it came up at Fargo. We hit the border, we didn't have far to go. 